pray with me? Father, wow. You are so good when we are not. You are so faithful when we are not. Your grace is strong when our faith is weak. Thank you. That the same grace that saves us, sustains us, and preserves us, and will keep us. Until that moment we see your son, Jesus, face to face. May that give us courage as we walk through this world full of storms. And we trust you, the one who is with us and for us and in us through your spirit. So now as we open your word, give us confidence in it. Show us Jesus in it and build our faith. May you love your people now through me as I point them to your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I encourage you to open your copies of the scriptures this morning to Matthew chapter 14. So Matthew is the very first book in the New Testament. And those of you who've been around here for a while and have been with us during our study of the gospel of Mark, you're like, whoa, Pastor Ken, hold on. Matthew, why are we going to Matthew? Hold on just a second. He will hold you fast until I give you the reason, all right? So I'll tell you why we're going to Matthew 14 in a moment. But while you're finding your place there in Matthew chapter 14, I just want to say to you, thank you as a congregation, as a church, for allowing the pastoral staff this past week to attend the Sing 22 conference in Nashville. Um, Monday evening, we sat in, and for, for me it was the very first time, being in the Grand Old Opry. And we were surrounded with... To, to about a, I mean, it was a sold out, it was a packed house, singing with a packed house in the Grand Old Opry, old and new hymns to the glory and praise of Jesus. And my heart this morning is on fire. And so I hope you've got your seatbelts on because I, I may go till one o'clock today. That is a nervous laugh if I've ever heard one. Um, thank you as a church for sending us, as a, as a pastoral staff and a pastoral team. We had a great time at the conference. People poured into us. We loved just the time being together, eating together, being in the same uh, house together. They're staying together, being in the sessions together with 7,200 brothers and sisters in Jesus, praising Him. It was just outstanding. We wish that we could allow you to go there and be there with us maybe next year. You know, at conferences like that, you always meet new people. You're standing in line for a cup of coffee and somebody strikes up a conversation and of course, there's this list of questions they ask. You know the drill, right? What's your name? Where are you from? What do you do for a living? Um... You know what that person is really asking, right? They, they want to know who you are and what you're like. It's all about your identity. In fact, 
That's why Matthew and Mark and Luke and John are writing to us these four Gospels in the New Testament. They are identifying for us who Jesus Christ really is. That He is the Messiah. That He is the King of Kings. That He is the Son of God. In fact, in Mark chapter 1 and verse 1, if you remember back to our study there, back at the beginning of this year, here's how Mark begins his Gospel. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But the Gospels don't just tell us who Jesus is. They tell us what He's like. They tell us what He says and what He does. They record for us the words of Jesus and the works of Jesus. And by the time we get to Mark chapter 6 and its parallel passage right here in Matthew chapter 14, the disciples have already seen and heard a lot of the words of Jesus and the works of Jesus. They've seen the miracles. They've seen the power and grace of Jesus in action. They've seen Him make the lame walk. And the deaf to hear, and the blind to see, and even the dead live again. But have you ever considered that up until this point in the Gospels, the disciples haven't tasted or felt the powerful grace of Jesus in miracles for themselves, personally? Uh, we do have we do have that night when Jesus calmed the storm in the boat in Mark chapter 4. And now in Mark chapter 6, we've had Jesus feeding the 5,000 and the 12 apostles get to eat too. But what happens in Mark chapter 6 and right here in Matthew chapter 14 is one of the disciples is going to experience personally and individually the power and grace of Jesus via a miracle. It's the rest of the story from our study last week. Remember that last week we saw Jesus after feeding the 5,000, dismissing the crowd and compelling his disciples to get into a boat, sending them toward the other side, and he heads up to a mountaintop to pray. Meanwhile, out on the lake, a windstorm blows up, and the disciples have the waves beating against the sides of the boat. They are slow at making progress. It's eight hours into their trip when they should have finished the trip in less than six. And Jesus is on the mountaintop watching their struggle, watching them in the storm. And that's when he comes walking to them in the storm, bringing them safely to their destination. Now, Mark in his gospel doesn't tell us the rest of the story. You know why? Because the rest of the story revolves around a guy named Peter. And Peter, if you remember, Peter is the one whom Mark gets his information from And records in his gospel for us. And Peter doesn't give Mark this information or Mark asks Mark not to record this information. Not because Peter is embarrassed or ashamed by what happens in this text in Matthew chapter 14. But because Peter wants to focus on Jesus. You see, even in Peter walking on the water, 
It's not about Peter. It's all about Jesus. And so Mark leaves Peter out of the story. But thankfully, Matthew doesn't because there's so much for us to learn on this very night when Jesus walks on the water and then Peter walks on the water to Jesus. Let's read it beginning in Mark, excuse me, beginning in Matthew chapter 14 and verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, that is between 3 and 6 a.m., he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, literally, I am that I am and I'm here. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the Word of our God. And in this text, we learn the big idea that Jesus is strong and kind and that we are eternally safe in the grip of His grace. He will never let us go. Even when our faith begins to falter because Jesus is strong. And the scene here in Matthew 14 beginning in verse 22 opens by showing us the strength of Jesus in a surprising way. Now if you remember back to last week, we, we saw that from John 6 we learned that after Jesus feeds the 5,000, the people are so impressed with Jesus, they're so taken with Jesus, that literally they want to take him by force at that very moment and make him king, their kind of king, who will feed them when they're hungry. But Jesus didn't come to be that kind of king. He came to be a greater king a better king, a bigger king, who will not just satisfy their bellies, but will satisfy their souls forever. But to do that, he's got to go to the cross. To do that, he can't be their kind of king. He has to be the Father's kind of king. And so now Jesus goes to the mountaintop to pray, to maintain his focus on the mission that the Father has given to him. You see, we pray because we're weak. Jesus prays because he's strong. He can be their kind of king. He can feed them every day for an eternity. We pray because of what we can't do that we need his help in doing. Jesus prays because he can do. He possesses universal power. 
And he asked the Father on that mountaintop, keep me faithful. Help me not to abuse my power to serve me and to be the people's kind of king without going to the cross and enduring the suffering that you, my Father, have given to me. Help me endure. Help me persevere. Help me, Father, to be your kind of king, not to abuse my power in serving me, but to use my power in fulfilling your plan of redemption to save my people. And so if Jesus, the all-powerful, all-wise, all-sufficient Son of God, finds it absolutely necessary to pray, how much more should we? Weak, ignorant, needy. How much more should we bring our weakness to the throne of the universe where the all-powerful King has promised to meet our need with His grace, just like He does here when He leaves the mountaintop to come to His disciples in their need. They're halfway across the lake. They're making headway slowly. They're just treading water. They're tired. They're, They're weak. They're frustrated. And Jesus comes to them. Have you ever considered that Jesus doesn't need to leave the mountaintop to meet their need in the middle of the lake? He can shut down the wind and waves from that mountaintop. His power is not limited by distance, and His power isn't limited by method. In other words, Jesus can do miracles in any way He chooses, using many different methods. Jesus is not simply a superhero. Any superhero fans in the house? Now, I'll wait. I'll wait for you to respond, okay? Superhero fans in the house? Superman? Spider-Man, Iron Man, Captain America, and if you're really a child of God, Batman, all right? The greatest superhero of them all. But here's the thing about superheroes. Their power is limited. You know, the real Spider-Man... I mean, the real Spider-Man cannot fly. Now, I know, I I googled this just to make sure, and I discovered that just last year in comic books, Marvel had swanky web wings built into Spider-Man's costume to enable him to fly. But when I was growing up with the real Spider-Man, he couldn't fly. Every superhero has their limitations and their kryptonite, a weakness that makes them vulnerable. Jesus is not just a superhero. Jesus is God unlimited with no weakness, no kryptonite, and his miracles aren't superpowers in action, so he doesn't have to follow some pre-described formula or prescribed formula to pull off that miracle. He can do any miracle at any time in any way he chooses. He has infinite options at his disposal. You say, Pastor Ken, why are you making such a big deal out of this? 
to remind you that Jesus could have stopped the wind and waves from the mountaintop by just shouting at the waves, remember what I said to you last time, peace, be still. He could have come down off the mountaintop onto the shoreline, and from a distance he could have, he could have stopped the wind and waves with just a whisper. Stop it. He could have hovered above the disciples in their boat and shut down the wind and waves from above them. He could have walked to them on the water, but wrapped in a protective bubble of calm. But he doesn't do any of that. He comes to them walking into their storm and through their storm to get to them in their storm. The God who is not bound by time or space comes to them in time and space through the howling wind and the raging waves, hearing and feeling and experiencing the very things that are endangering them. He's got to. That's why He came to identify with us by living where we live and facing what we face, the difficulties, the dangers, and even the death itself. And so when he reaches their boat, near their boat, and he says to them, take heart. It's me, the I am, the same I am who revealed himself to Moses back in Exodus chapter 3 through a burning bush, the same I am who rescued my people from Egypt. I am the I am. Take heart. I'm here to rescue you like I did them from Pharaoh. So don't be afraid. I'm with you. And you're with me. I've come to you through the wind and the waves that endanger you. So guys, when you feel your weakness, know this. I'm strong for you. Look, I just proved to you. I just show you that I I control the universe. I can bend the laws of nature and walk on water. You get your courage from me. I've told you before that when I was in elementary school, I had a nickname, Dumbo. I still don't know why they called me that. More nervous laughs. Um, So I, I grew up with really big ears, and it took a while, but I think finally, at least to some extent, my head has grown into my ears. But I had another nickname, too, that I've never told you about yet. It was bones. You see, I was tall and extremely skinny um, with really big ears. So you could take your pick if you wanted to make fun of me, Dumbo or Bones. And of course, my comeback always was sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Of course, that wasn't true. But But then dad, my dad, would come to school. 
And we were a small school, the Adrian R3 school district in southern Missouri, 550 students in K through 12. We were all in the same facility. And Dad started the Little League basketball program in our community, and so during the winter months, he spent quite a bit of time at school. And those of you who don't know my dad, he is six foot two, and he is big and he is strong, and he's big enough and strong enough, especially at that time, to whoop any high schooler. And so when dad came to school and I would walk down the hallway with my dad, my whole world changed. I no longer walked with a complex. I walked with courage because the strong one was with me. That's us. When we walk the hallways of life, the stormy hallways of life, whether it's a hospital hallway or a courtroom hallway or a school hallway or a work hallway, wherever the hallway that we enter the storm, Jesus is with us. Isaiah 41 verse 10, fear not for I am, there it is again, I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous, powerful right hand. The one who possesses universal power walks in the storm and through the storm to be with us and speak to us in the storm. Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. It's Jesus strong. And Jesus, kind. You know, there are a lot of people in our world who are powerful, but there's none as powerful as Jesus. There are a lot of people in our world who are kind, but there is none as kind as Jesus. There are even a very limited and few people in our world who are both powerful and kind but there is none as powerful or as kind who will wield His power to show kindness like Jesus. It's what we call grace. Grace is God meeting us in our need, giving us all we need as the answer to our need. And that's why Jesus shows up on the waves speaking words of power and grace to these fearful men. Now, now we would think... That what's just happened, Jesus walking on the water and speaking to his disciples, we would think in the middle of that storm, we would think that that would be enough to convince the disciples that it really is Jesus. But they think it's a ghost that is walking across the waves. And let's just be honest here. We too have the words of Jesus And yet we struggle to believe Him. In fact, we have more words than they did. We struggle to trust Him. We find ourselves to be a lot like Peter, who says, Lord, if it really is You, prove it. (laughs) Prove it. Tell me to come to You on the water. 
I've always wondered, did Peter immediately regret saying that? Did Peter wish that he could catch his words mid-air and shove them back into his mouth? I mean, Peter is a guy, and we know Peter well, right? We, we know he's a guy whose mouth engages before his brain. And this time, it's about to get him into some deep water. Because without hesitation, Jesus says, come. Now, as much as we like to pick on Peter, let's give him some credit here. He's got enough guts to back up his words. He follows through and he gets out of the boat. Now, we don't know how he gets out of the boat. We don't know if he jumps out with both feet. We don't know if he dangles one foot over the side and then dips a toe onto the water before gingerly placing all of his weight on the waves. We don't know. We just know that he gets out of the boat and walks on the water toward Jesus. But then, but then Peter notices the wind and the waves, and he notices he still has a ways to go to get to Jesus, and he's afraid. The Greek word here is actually phobia. And if you have a phobia, you know it's the kind of fear that seizes you so hard and fast it literally paralyzes you. It's like when you're afraid of heights and you, you reach that top rung of the ladder and you just freeze up. That's Peter here. He feels the force of the wind now without the protection of the boat. He thinks he's at the mercy of the waves, but he isn't because the waves are at the mercy of Jesus. And it's this miscalculation that causes Peter to take his eyes off Jesus and the floor of water drops out from under him and he begins to sink. And he cries out, Lord, save me. And immediately, Jesus is there. Immediately, Jesus reaches out his hand. Immediately, Jesus takes hold of Peter. However far away Peter was from Jesus, immediately, Jesus is near. Again, I remind you, Jesus could have simply spoken the words from a distance, stand up and walk, Peter, and he would have. Jesus could have spoken to the waves, bear him up now, waves, and they would have. But now Jesus rushes to Peter immediately, taking hold of him powerfully. The Greek word here actually tells us that Jesus seizes Peter by force. And in that moment, Christ's universal power becomes personal to Peter. And so Jesus asks, why Peter? Why? Why don't you trust me? Why is your faith in me so small when you've seen my power and grace at work in so many ways? These aren't questions to shame Peter. These are questions to teach Peter that he's held by the very same hand that formed the universe out of nothing. The very same hand that rescued his people from Pharaoh in Egypt. The very same hand that touched blind eyes and opened them and touched blind ears and awakened them. The very same hand that took Jairus' daughter by the hand and brought her back to life. 
that hand has seized him. And when our faith falters like Peter, it's the powerful hand of preserving grace that seizes us and sets us back on our feet again. We are weak, but he is strong and kind. And he will hold us fast in his grip every day, every step of the way. And that's why the wind stops when Jesus gets back into the boat with Peter. And that's why the guys in the boat worship Jesus saying, truly, this is the Son of God. So you see, from their response, they get that the story really isn't about Peter. They aren't amazed and astounded by Peter. They're amazed with and astounded by Jesus. And so the story isn't really about the problem of Peter's little faith. The story is about the power of Jesus' strong grace. And maybe that's what you need to hear this morning. Because you've thought for a long time that becoming a Christian and following Jesus is all about the amount of your faith. And you know that your faith is little. It's weak. You know that your faith is a lot like Peter's faith. I say to you this morning, you're in a room of, full of people with faith like Peter's faith. And perhaps God has brought you here this morning to show you that he doesn't save you because of your strong faith. He saves you because of his strong grace. And that's why it isn't about the amount of your faith. It's about the object of your faith. It's trusting in Jesus and his grace rather than in you and your faith. And that's why Jesus says in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's why Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, that Jesus suffered once for sins, the righteous in the place of the unrighteous, so that he might bring, he might bring us to God. And that's why the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, that it's by grace through faith that you have been saved and not of yourselves. It is a gift from God and not of works lest any of us should boast. You see, Jesus died and rose again to prove that His grace is strong enough to give life to our little faith. And so the question isn't Will you have enough faith in him? The question is, will you believe he has enough grace for you? And when you do, you will trust him. And he will seize you and save you and never let you go by his grace. Not because of your big faith, but because of his big grace. And when you trust him, there will be three takeaways from this text for you. The first is this. Always in the storm, always keep your eyes on Jesus. And that isn't just a personal or individual challenge 
That's a challenge for our church. Have you noticed that we live in a world and a nation and a state that's being rocked by storms? Political storms? Economic storms? Social storms? Moral storms? I say to you, church, let's not be distracted by the storms. Let's keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Let's keep the message all about Jesus. Listen, we cannot bring hope to Jesus. We cannot point people to Jesus in the storm if our eyes aren't fixed on Jesus in the storm. Now, that doesn't mean that the storm isn't a big deal or that the storms aren't real. Jesus doesn't come to the disciples and say, hey, guys, stop imagining things that aren't there. No, Storms are real. Storms are part of life in a broken world. It isn't a question then of if we'll encounter a storm or even when we'll encounter a storm. It's a question of how we, how we will respond in the storm and what we're focused on in the storm. In the storm, listen, in the storm, your eyes will follow your heart. A fearful heart will see the storm as big and Jesus as small. A faithful heart will see Jesus is big and the storm is small. You see, fear confuses perception with reality. Faith lets reality determine perception because we are looking unto Jesus. The author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the greatest storm ever, the cross despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. He is the one who is with us in the storm, saying to us, Take heart, it is I. Don't be afraid. The one who then, secondly, here's the second takeaway this morning, comes to us when our faith falters. Jesus does not withdraw from us in those moments. He comes to us, not to condemn us, but to catch us. And Peter's going to need to remember that because in just a few months, on the night Jesus is arrested, Peter will be standing in a courtyard while Jesus is undergoing a mock trial. And Peter will deny Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times, and the final time with a curse. Peter is going to fall, and he's going to fall hard. And he's going to need to remember the strong and kind hand of Jesus that on this night seized him and will never let him go. Because in John 10, verse 28, as Pastor Dave has already mentioned this morning, Jesus says that no one will snatch us out of his hand. That's the story of a young man God brought into my life several years ago. He came to Jesus, leaving alcohol and drug abuse behind. And then a storm hit, and his faith faltered. And he went back to the alcohol. And in my conversations with him, there was one big thing that kept him from walking back to Jesus. It's that he believed that he had sinned too much and been gone for too long and fallen too far. Here's what he didn't get. When you've been gripped by Jesus' grace... He will never let you go. He will be right there to pick you up again 
If that's where you are this morning, here's a verse from you. It's Psalm 94, verse 18. When I said my foot is slipping, your steadfast love, O Lord, supported me. So I say to you, come back to Jesus. He's still gripping you with his grace. That's why you're still here. That's why your head is still above water. He'll pick you up and dry you off and climb with you back into the boat. Because number three, the third takeaway this morning, is that the storm is where we learn that Jesus is strong and kind. Listen carefully, please. We, we, we all like stories that end like this one. We all like when the good guys win and they live happily ever after. But did you notice there's a lot more ink given to what happens in the storm than there is to what happens after the storm? Now, that isn't that the destination isn't important. It's that what happens in the storm prepares us for the destination and propels us to the destination. Listen, it's only in the storm that we learn God's grace is sufficient for everything we face. It's only in the storm that we learn that His presence is powerful and real. It's only in the storm that we learn that He can calm us even when He doesn't calm the storm. Listen, Jesus doesn't always heal the cancer. He doesn't always step between that oncoming car and the head-on fatal collision. He doesn't always heal the broken relationship with the spouse or kids. Following Jesus doesn't mean there's always a storybook ending to this life. It means that there's something bigger and better on the other side of this life. It means that when it comes time to die in the face of life's greatest storm, we'll discover that we are not alone and that what we will experience next will be so much more than we ever imagined. Jesus, strong and kind, not in sparing us from death, but rescuing us in death and giving us eternal life, proving that even in death we are held tightly in the forever grip of His grace. As the Apostle Paul writes, in some of the final words he writes before his death, in 2 Timothy 4 verse 18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Trust the one who is infinitely strong and eternally kind. Amen. Father, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Even when that path is stormy water. And so help us to see Jesus in all of his grace, in all of his glory. The one who seizes us will never let us go. 
Can I ask you this morning, have you been seized by the grace of Jesus? Do you belong to him? Are you a Christian? Not because of the good things you've done, not because of the baptism you've, you've had or the communion you've taken, but because of Jesus and what he has done. Would you come to him? And you'll find his grace strong. He will save you. Just a little faith. But a little faith placed in a big Savior. And Christian, you see Jesus in that storm? You focused on him? believe he's there each and every time your faith falters. He's holding you tight and will never let you go. Trust him. Trust him. Father, show us. Show us Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen.